more than doubling over a two-week period. You're listening to the news on RTHK. President. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's Money Talk on Radio 3. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the 12th of January 2022. This is Peter Lewis with the latest business and finance news. Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam said on Tuesday that the government is preparing another round of subsidies for businesses hit hard by the Omicron outbreaks. It will be the fifth round of the anti-epidemic fund since the pandemic began and Mrs Lam said more details will be announced on Friday. She said the government will offer financial help to industries that never quite rebounded, such as the tourism sector. The CE noted around 4 billion Hong Kong dollars is left in the fund and the government will ask for approval from the legislature if more funding is needed. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said yesterday that high inflation is a severe threat to the US jobs recovery. He told the Senate Banking Committee at his confirmation hearing that the economy no longer needs or wants the highly accommodative policies that have been in place since the onset of the pandemic. World Bank President David Malpass has warned that the global economy faces a grim outlook as the aftershocks of the pandemic continue to weigh on growth, especially in poor countries. In its latest forecasts, the World Bank predicted that global growth would slow to 4.1% this year from 5.5% in 2021. Driving the global slowdown at China, where the rate of growth is expected to drop to 5.1% from 8% last year, and the US, which is forecast to expand by 3.7% this year, compared with 5.6% in 2021. India is predicted to be the world's fastest growing economy, with a growth rate of 8.7% this year. And inflation in the nearly 40 OECD countries rose to a 25-year high in November. The annual pace of consumer price increases in the OECD area jumped to 5.8% in November, up from just 1.2% a year ago and the highest rate since May 1996. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Michelle Lamb at Societe Generale Corporate and Investment Banking, Quentin Webb from the Wall Street Journal, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US investors took hearts from Jerome Powell's comments that he was ready to curb inflation before it gets out of control, but he didn't feel that a dramatic increase in interest rates was necessary. The Nasdaq Composite Index had its best day of the year, rising 1.4% to 15,153. And the Nasdaq is now down about 3.1% since the start of 2022 and more than 5% from its record closing high in November. The S&P 500 Index rose 0.9% to 4,713. The Dow added 183 points to end the session at 36,252. Large-cap tech stocks led the gains, and energy stocks were also firmer after U.S. oil prices rose 4% to above $80 a barrel. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index climbed 0.9%. London's FTSE 100 rose 0.6%. Hong Kong stocks gave up early gains on Tuesday to end slightly lower. The Hang Seng Index fell 7 points, or 0.1%, to 23,739. 
The Hang Seng Tech Index also fell 0.1%, but has rebounded 5.6% since hitting an all-time low last Wednesday. The Shanghai Composite is 0.7% to 3,567. Elsewhere in Asia, the Philippine Stock Exchange is to shorten its trading hours as coronavirus infections in the country rise sharply, with a record 46% of all COVID tests in the Philippines coming back positive. From Friday, the market will open at 9.30am and close at 1pm instead of the previous 3.30pm and the shortened trading hours will continue until January the 31st. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is 3.3% higher at $83.73 a barrel. Gold rose over 1% to $1,821 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield is two basis points lower at 1.75%. And in the currency markets, the US dollar is 0.4% weaker this morning. The euro is trading at $1.13.7. The dollar's worth 115.3 Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.36 and a third cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 63 cents. And the Chinese yuan is at 6.38 in offshore markets. Bitcoin rebounded 2% to 42,800 dollars and around Asian stock markets this morning a rebound going on the SX200 in Australia up 0.9% the Nikkei 225 in Japan up one and a quarter percent the Cosby in South Korea up 1% and the Hang Seng set to rebound about 300 points at the open this morning It's 8.09. Let's go and welcome our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have Quentin Webb, Asia Markets Editor at the Wall Street Journal. Happy New Year, Quentin. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. And over on the phone this morning, we have Michelle Lamb, Greater China Economist at Societe Generale Corporate and Investment Banking. Morning to you, Michelle. Hello, Michelle. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good, great, you're there. And also, over in Washington, D.C., we have our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Morning, Barry. Good morning, Peter. Now, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, he said yesterday that high inflation is a severe threat to the U.S. jobs recovery. He told the Senate Banking Committee that the economy no longer needs or wants the highly accommodative policies that have been in place since the onset of the pandemic. He vowed to curb rising prices, saying high inflation is a severe threat to achieving maximum employment and to achieving the long expansion that could give us that. And he said that high inflation extracted a toll on the economy and the Fed would use its tools to ensure it didn't become a problem. And Barry, I suppose if there was any doubt, uh, Jerome Powell spelt it out at the hearing, the end of pandemic era stimulus is well and truly over. Yes, I think that was the message. And I thought it was rather skillfully presented. He has done clearly a pivot in the last three months that the Fed is serious about fighting inflation. And as you just said, that probably the fiscal and monetary stimulus that uh, was so successful really in combating the disruptions from the pandemic is no longer needed. It was a very impressive performance, I think, by Mr. Powell. Quentin, were you impressed by by what he said? And in particular, I suppose, what, what we need to bear in mind, isn't it, that even if monetary policy does get tighter this year, three interest rate rises they're talking about, interest rates even at the end of that are still extraordinarily low by historical standards. 
That's right. It's important to keep a sense of perspective. You know, yes, we're, we're going from almost the zero lower bound upward, and so we are still going to be pretty accommodative. Um, it's interesting to see the way that Powell has done this is partly to kind of tie it back to his previous stated serious concern for employment and inclusive employment. So actually he says, you know, if you continue to have this period of high inflation, um, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to prevent there being a long recovery. And it's only through a long recovery or a long sustained expansion that we're going to get this really big, broad-based kind of... Uh, employment which also kind of benefits uh, more disadvantaged groups. Do you think the Fed can succeed in its battle against inflation? Because a large part of the inflation we're seeing is coming from a supply side shock because of the disruption to supply chains caused by the economy and a lack of workers. It, it's not the typical demand related inflation uh, that we've seen before and it, and it can't easily be corrected just by raising interest rates, can it? Well, that's one of the big questions. Yes, we're in this kind of period of uncharted territory, effectively. You know, we've had this kind of once-in-a-century pandemic, if you like. Um, then we've had these extraordinary kind of supply chain disruptions. Then we've had an almost unprecedented amount of both fiscal and monetary stimulus pumped into the system. So it's not clear, no. And this all comes after a period of, you know, very subdued inflation in which the Fed and other central banks have actually been trying to kind of push inflation up to healthier levels. So, I mean, maybe we should bring Michelle in here for her view. She's probably better qualified to talk about this, but it's a very big question about how effectively the Fed can f fight this. Michelle, do you think the Fed can fight this with interest rate rises? Um, I think the, the jury is still out, but I think uh, that is the right policy to uh, tighten the monetary policy to hike interest rates uh, to contain inflation rather than not. Um, actually, on the supply side issues, um, even though the, we, we're talking about a lot of uh, shortage in the chip supply uh, and also the port uh, bottlenecks last year, I think looking ahead for this year, I think the issue should not be as severe um, because uh, actually a lot of um, chip companies, they're already ramping up production and expanding the investment capacity. So it will take some time to alleviate the uh, supply side shortage. So I think uh, it will, well, it will still be here, but I think it will not be as severe as what we saw uh, at the onset of pandemic. And I think, um, Right now, uh, if we're talking about uh, well, massive monetary policy stimulus and fiscal stimulus that allow people to um, reduce the payments on their mortgages and allow people to receive unemployment benefits, and when these benefits are received, people are going to come back to the job market. And uh, if we see uh, more recovery in the job market uh, su supported by the supply side, then I think um, the wage inflation should be less uh, well, less uh, uh, on, the, on the upside uh, compared to now. So I think um, it is right for the Fed to tighten policy sooner rather than later to contain inflation. What happens if the Omicron variant takes a bigger toll on the economy than people are currently thinking? Is the Fed going to have to switch track again and revert to more stimulus? Well, well it could I think happen. right now we do. Um, yeah. Carry on, Michelle. No, go ahead, Michelle. Well, we still have to see, but um, I think um, based off what I learned from the, what was what, happening in the in U.S. and Europe is that um, actually people are rather comfortable about the 
Omicron variant, uh, it is definitely life as usual uh, in contrast to what we are seeing in uh, in China and in Hong Kong here. Um, there are still no the massive uh, lockdown measures being imposed uh, by the government, although people could be somewhat, somewhat worried about the spread of the variant. But uh, now people are receiving the first shot of the, of the vaccination, and Pfizer is also the... Uh, promoting the drugs that could uh, potentially be effective to contain uh, the Omicron uh, variant and reduce the uh, severe uh, symptoms, uh, for especially for the elderly. So I think um, definitely compared to what we saw from the uh, compared to the onset of the pandemic, I think the shock um, to the economy should be less severe compared to uh, compared to 2020. Actually, Barry. Yes, I think Michelle's got it absolutely right. I think that uh, people here in the States are moving towards normality, and I think the government is moving in that direction too. But as to your question, Peter, I think that uh, Mr. Powell made clear that the Federal Reserve will be flexible. If there is a kind of uh, deepening of the problem associated with the latest variant, then indeed they would uh, not, uh, they would say first that they're not going to stop the bond buying and they're going to delay the interest rate rises that are probably priced into the market. I think they've mm. got flexibility. And are they prepared to be uh, flexible the other way as well in that if inflation moves up further, is the Fed prepared to be even more aggressive than maybe the three interest rate rises it's talking about so far this year? Yes, there's no question about that. That, uh, you know, first of all, Powell said that he expects inflation to be persistent at current levels through most of this year. But if it gets worse, I think that uh, the tools are there and they will use them. I think the low unemployment rate is very much a weapon that Mr. Powell and soon Ms. Brainard, when she appears before the Senate Banking Committee, uh, are happy to point to because uh, you've got a very strong economy with a labor force in which there's a shortage of workers. So there is flexibility that is built in. You know, you can either move more aggressively or you can back off. Quentin, M Michelle made a point there that's quite interesting, is that there is this now big contrast between how we're dealing with the, uh, the Omicron variants out here and on mainland China, which is by more lockdowns, closure of schools, compared to the U.S., and Europe, where uh, they're, they're learning to live with it. And in the case of the UK, from the news reports, the government's carrying on partying as normal. Um, is, is, is this going to um, you know, make, make a big difference between the performance, do you think, of, of the economies out here and the markets out here compared to the rest of the world? Um, that's right. And if you look, for example, at some of the big uh, investment banks, they've recently cut their forecasts for China's growth this year. And that's partly because you know, whereas earlier on in the pandemic, China was seen as benefiting more than it was losing because it was enjoying this extraordinary export boom. Some of that export boom is starting to tail off. And at the mm. same time, we're seeing all of these kind of repeated social distancing measures, which are kind of dampening domestic economic activity. So, for example, I think Goldman recently cut its forecast to 4.3 percent for 2022 from 4.8%. Morgan Stanley has said that if there's kind of widespread COVID outbreaks in China, they might cut their forecast by um, 0.6 or 0.7 percentage points. So there is a sense, yes, that what China is doing, whilst it's understandable partly because China doesn't have the kind of hospital capacity that some um, developed Western nations have, 
um, while it's understandable, it's also going to act as a bit of a drag on growth. Michelle, are you cutting your forecasts for, for China as a response to the spread of Omicron and the, and the increased lockdowns on the mainland? Uh, right now, not. Um, but I, well, we have already uh, discovered the Omicron variant uh, in Tianjin. And um, we all know that it is uh, way more transmissible compared to the, the Delta variant, for example. So um, I think it just raises the challenge for policymakers to stick to the zero COVID uh, tolerance policy. And if uh, they continue with the zero tolerance policy, that means that they're just going to be massive lockdowns whenever we find the Omicron variant in some cities. So that is going to be uh, very challenging to the recovery in service spending. So that we see, uh, we do see downside risks uh, to our current uh, growth forecast right now for China, which is uh, just uh, below 5%. And what about for Hong Kong? We had Fitch ratings warn on Friday that Hong Kong's sudden tightening of restrictions on travel and social activity poses new risks to the SAR's economy, its public finances, its credit rating, and also its role as an international business hub. Do you agree with that assessment? Um, so, so, of course, definitely for Hong Kong as well. And actually, a lot of um, of the, the recovery for Hong Kong this year, uh, for our forecast, is underpinned on the fact that they, they um, could potentially reopen with mainland China. And that's very important because we have uh, so many business travelers coming uh, into or uh, out, out, uh, outward uh, inside Hong Kong and outside Hong Kong. And also the tourism sector is particularly dependent on mainland Chinese tourists as well. So now that uh, the Hong Kong is already uh, doing such strict quarantine measures against uh, travelers from the rest of the world, and, uh, and also the, the hope to reopen with China seems that it is uh, it's a bit dire uh, situation at the moment. So I think um, that is going to um, uh, the drag uh, to the tourism sector is going to be here for longer. So I think uh, we may have to wait until the, after the Winter Olympics and see the, whether there's a spread of the Omicron variant uh, in, the, in the first half of the year before the Hong Kong government decides whether we can uh, reimpose uh, the quarantine free scheme between Hong Kong and China. Quentin, what about the markets? Do you think the markets are prepared for, for three, possibly four interest rate rises uh, this year? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it's been, it's been complicated interpreting what the bond market, for example, mm. has been doing because at some point it hasn't been moving in a textbook fashion um, given what we think might be happening with interest rates. But, um, you know, now we're at something like 1.75%. On the ten-year, um, maybe that's got room to kind of move higher as we move towards the actual rate hikes, rate hikes, excuse me, and as the the bond buying rolls off, and then maybe they start running down their stock of bonds. So, um, yeah, again, I think it's a big open question because again, we're in this slightly kind of unfamiliar territory. And what if the Fed does more than just uh, running down its stock of bonds? In other words letting them expire, mature, and not buying, not reinvesting, but it goes further than that and actually starts selling off uh, existing bond holdings. You would expect that would put further downward pressure on bond prices and then push yields up effectively. 
Barry, did, did Jerome Powell say anything about that uh, at all today at, at the hearing? Did he give any indication that maybe yes, the did. Fed is going to be more aggressive in terms of reducing its balance sheet? Well, I think he was really speaking on the other side of that one, Peter, in saying that um, in the last episode, after the 2008-2009 crisis, that it took a long time before they actually began to uh, sell off some of those holdings. I don't think he made any reference that they were going to move faster here. In fact, I think most uh, commentators have looked at his testimony and said they're going to be very slow to end the bond buying. We're still getting stimulus. I think that was important. We're still getting monetary stimulus from the Fed buying bonds. But uh, it's going to be slowed down further. It's already been reduced substantially. And uh, I think, again, flexibility is the key. And, and he seems, look, at balance, and in the end of the day, what the Federal Reserve is trying to do is either thread the needle, if you like that analogy, or walk a tightrope. Because once you start either stopping the bond buying or raising interest rates, we still haven't seen the market reaction yet, and particularly mm. with equity prices. Now, while we're on the subject of the Fed, let me ask you, Barry, about this trading scandal that seems to be involving more and more Fed officials. The latest one is uh, Fed Vice Chairman Richard Cluida stepping down early now after scrutiny over his stock trades during the pandemic, and in particular, news that he was selling stock uh, just just before the Fed uh, was uh, was discussing uh, stimulus. Oh, sorry, buying stock just well, before the Fed was uh, uh, discussing stimulus. It, does this undermine the Fed's credibility? I think it would had he not run for the exit rather quickly. I mean, his term was coming to an end January 31st, so he's only leaving two weeks early. But he's leaving before Lyle Brannard has her uh, confirmation hearing on, on Thursday. Uh, frankly, I think it's almost scandalous that he was trading a very big portfolio just at the time that the Fed was moving to ease monetary policy and do other actions. Uh, the fact is that Mr. Clarida is, uh, is essentially passed in. Whether it's going to have a long-term effect on the Fed, that wasn't evident at all during the Senate hearing on, on Tuesday. Quentin, this is all very odd, isn't it? But, but do you think uh, it, it does damage the, creds, uh, the Fed's uh, credibility and maybe even Jerome Powell's chances of, of being re-nominated as chairman? I'm not sure about that, but it's definitely extra ammunition for kind of populist critiques of the Fed, if you like, because now we've got three senior Fed officials who have um, stepped down early because of their, or are stepping, you know, two last year and now Mr. Clarida, um, so three officials who stepped down early because of their kind of portfolio dealings. It really is not look a good look. Mm. And I, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but it seems to me that they've got off very lightly. This is insider trading in effect, isn't it? So if all he has to do is resign two weeks early, it seems to me it's pretty lucky because most people get prosecuted for that. <laughs> I guess that's one way of thinking of it. I, I hadn't really thought of it in those in those terms. But yes, if you were a public company executive and mm. you know you you acted on some inside information about your company before it was released, and then the the consequences would be very severe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Michelle, let me ask you about the World Bank. Uh, the World Bank President David Malpass has warned that the global economy faces a grim 
outlook as the aftershocks of the pandemic uh, continue to weigh on growth, especially in poor countries. He predicted in particular China and the US uh, slowing down, although India was the bright spot, uh, a, a growth rate of 8.7% uh, this year. But he also talked about his greatest worry being widening global inequality. And he said the big drag is the inequality that's built into the system and, and weaker countries are set to fall further and further behind. What do you make of what he said today? Um, yeah, I think, um, well, here I think we have to be cautious about a lot of uh, base effects going on when we talk about slowdown. Um, so say, for example, for China, um, the World Bank's forecast is 5.1%. And if you look at the 2020 and 2021 um, two-year uh, compound annualized growth rate, it's uh, around 5%. So meaning that actually if China is able to achieve 5.1%, um, that is somewhat slower than what they achieved uh, before, but still uh, in line with what they did uh, in 2020 and 2021 uh, during the pandemic. Mm. And... Um, and of course, well, China uh, is uh, going a going through a lot of slowdown pressure because of the real estate sector. That's the undeniable. Um, but I think, uh, as far as uh, Asia is concerned, um, given that uh, our, our household forecast for the um, the developed economies such as the U.S. and Europe uh, are still pretty good, supported by the excessive uh, household savings, meaning that uh, household consumption is still going to be pretty strong. And also after the pandemic, um, businesses are still willing to uh, invest uh, in uh, new capacities such as the software, for example. Um, I think the global backdrop is still pretty decent for this year. So for Asia, I think um, the trade momentum is going to moderate somewhat, but uh, it's the growth rate is still going to be healthy overall. But uh, talking about the inequality between the rich and uh, the poor countries, I think this is uh, definitely an uh, ongoing theme, and uh, especially given the pandemic that uh, the poor countries have uh, less access to uh, medical resources, and uh, including the vaccines and pills. I think that are very much dependent on the international organizations uh, to balance these resources and uh, hoping that once the um once the resources are satisfied in the developed countries, then it could be uh, could be transferred to the developing countries to uh, to uh, for mm -hmm. them to contain the pandemic. So, after all, I think the the pandemic is still the number one risk uh, to to a lot of emerging market economies here. I suppose, Quinty, we, we shouldn't look at all emerging market economies in the in the same way because China is sort of a little bit exceptional, isn't it? Because it's got a lot of firepower to to cushion its economy um, in in the way that a lot of other most other emerging market economies don't. That's right. Um, and not only that, but as well as that kind of fiscal space, if you like, um, what is different between, let's say, a China and a Thailand is you know Thailand is very much more exposed to. Um, tourism demand and so when the tourist economy shuts down that's a very big blow for them in many developing countries the informal economy is very large too and so that means you know a lot of kind of face-to-face um, -face work um, and so yeah there are all these ways in which um, the developing world is disadvantaged versus uh, the developed world when it comes to the pandemic and it's not just about um, I don't know, kind of different actions by central banks or even just about differential access to vaccines, but it's about the structures of those economies as well. Barry, the final word to you. What, what are your thoughts on what well, David Mel yes, has said? I, I agree with, uh, with Quentin and with Michelle. Look, the president of a World Bank 
sees his role as speaking for the developed world, ex-China. So yes, and clearly what Michelle was saying about the weak infrastructure and how the vaccines, absence of them has hurt these economies, and I think what the bank is really worried about is a rising dollar and a rising interest rate that hurts third world countries far more than anywhere else. Well, thank you all very much. Great to hear from you all. You heard there Barry Ward, our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Quinton Webb, Asia Markets editor at the Wall Street Journal, and Michelle Lam, who's Greater China Economist at Societe Generale Corporate and Investment Banking. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look at Asian markets where there's a nice rebound going on this morning. The SX200 in Australia is up 1%. Uh, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 up one and a third percent. The Cosby is also up over one percent in South Korea. Uh, it's going to be a similar story probably for the Hang Seng at the open as well. Futures markets predicting a jump of about 300 points at the open. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil pretty well unchanged, $83.73 a barrel. And gold is trading at $1,821 an ounce. That's it for me. Please do join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat after the news with Janice Wong and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, cool in the morning and at night, sunny intervals during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be about 19 degrees and it's going to remain cool in the morning and the next couple of days. Temperature right now is 15 degrees and it's 74% relative humidity. Times 8.32, here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. The chairman of an education concern group says he supports the government's decision to suspend in-person classes for kindergartens and primary schools, but says the authorities will need to provide support for families until face-to-face classes resume. Mervyn Chung from the Education Policy Concern Group told Ben Che that young children need more protection in light of the Omicron outbreak in Hong Kong. He says the social welfare department and NGOs may need to step in to provide services to families, especially those where both parents work, who may have difficulty taking care of children. So one way out is for the um, uh, for teachers and, and uh, school heads to maintain a very close contact uh, with, with the uh, with the parents in relation to the uh, the, the home based learning and care of uh, of their students. No COVID cases have been found in overnight COVID lockdown and testing operations in North Point and Tun Mun. About 75 people were tested at Maple Gardens on Quinoa Street in North Point. Another 1,249 residents were tested at Block 3 of Potin Estate on Ming Kum Road in Tun Mun. The World Health Organization says more than half of Europe's population will have been infected with the Omicron coronavirus variant within six to eight weeks. The WHO Regional Director for Europe, Dr. Hans Kluge, was speaking at a news conference. He said the variant had already spread rapidly and action needed to be taken. How each country now responds must be informed by its epidemiological situation, available resources vaccination uptake status and socio-economic context. The region saw over 7 million newly reported cases of COVID-19 in the first week of 2022, more than doubling over a two-week period. President Biden has given an impassioned speech in support of voting rights reform, saying the next few days could mark a turning point for U.S. democracy. Speaking in Atlanta, Georgia, Mr. Biden said he supported changes to Senate rules, which would allow the reforms to be passed without Republican support.
Sadly, the United States Senate, designed to be the world's greatest deliberative body, has been rendered a shell of its former self. It gives me no satisfaction in saying that. I believe that the threat to our democracy is so grave that we must find a way to pass these voting rights bills. Debate them. Vote. Let the majority prevail. And if that bare minimum is blocked, we have no option but to change the Senate rules, including getting rid of the filibuster for this. And finally, the World Bank has said that global recovery is slowing and has cut its growth forecasts for the U.S. and China. But the organization